just before uh, the service, we were having a conversation and we were talking about uh, the realization that I was coming to is there is nothing new under the sun. There is absolutely nothing new under the sun. And, and what we find in today's passage is just that. What happens in today's new uh, governmental uh, sphere when newly appointed heads of government uh, come into power? They go for visits or they receive visits. They go and greet people and they are greeted. And you can tell an awful lot about the allegiances, about the, the goals of different public officials by the people they greet by the, the people that come and pay their uh, respects and greet them. It is one of those things that never changes. It is true today. It was true a hundred years ago. It was true in the days of the Apostle Paul. It was true in Roman days. The Roman uh, way of ruling, uh, one of the, the many ways that they would uh, get people to sit uh, or to to, to be happy uh, with uh, Roman occupation was to find within the, that people group, that ethnical people group, uh, an aristocratical family that could rule over them as a vassal king. To do local, they, they, they try to find local aristocracies, local uh, influential families uh, that would, uh, for the most part, do the dirty work that the Romans didn't want to do themselves. And part of the difficulty that the Roman uh, Empire faced in, in the days of Paul, well, in the, in the first century as a whole, was that the Jewish people were not very easy to deal with. Partly because of the incompetence of Herod the Great's family, uh, and partly because of uh, other issues going around in the first century. The first century Judea was a, a powder keg of different uh, and of difficult people to deal with. And that's why the Roman uh, emperor, the Roman Empire, would so often send proconsuls, governors, prefects. And that's why throughout the, the first five, six uh, decades of, uh, of the first century, the up until the, the, the seventh decade, actually, up until 70 AD, the, the, the Judean region was being divided and, and subdivided and rejoined, and this person was in charge of this part and that part. They were trying to make it work. It looked like, we're, we're like the Balkans in the 90s. You know how the Balkans in the 90s were, the, uh, the, after the, the fall of the Soviet Union, they were trying to make the, the nations work, and they divide here, and this one gets independence, and, they, and it wasn't working in the Balkans, uh, and it wasn't working here in these days. Felix is the newly uh, appointed, oh, Festus is the newly appointed governor after Felix 
had passed away or had been deposed. And now uh, Festus is receiving the visit from King Agrippa II and Bernice, uh, his sister. This is the third time. Just by way of recapping where we are, this is the third, or we're getting to the, to the third time in a space of two chapters where the Apostle Paul is going to have to give a defense, who's going to have to give a, provide an apologia for, for his uh, actions. Firstly, he appeared before Felix about two years ago uh, in the time frame that we are now looking at. at. Then he appeared before uh, uh, Festus, when Felix was recalled to Rome. And now we see this interaction between Festus and Agrippa. And we'll look at it next week. Paul is going to give another defense, another uh, apologia before King Agrippa. We'll see the outcome of this defense next week. But today I want us to consider the circumstances surrounding uh, the third defense, which is perhaps the bigger, the, the, the biggest of all the defenses of Paul. I want us to look at the circumstances and learn a few uh, practical uh, lessons from it. The circumstances are, can be divided into two. There is a private um, session between Festus and Agrippa, that is in verse 13 to verse 21. And then there is a public hearing, uh, or there is a public uh, gathering uh, in verse 22 to 27, before Paul is given the opportunity to speak. So firstly, the private account. One might ask, how did Luke come to know about this private uh, interaction? about this private conversation. It is often suggested by critics of, uh, of Christianity that the, uh, Luke uh, just made it up, that, that Luke uh, is just uh, providing some uh, uh, artistic uh, uh, originality here. He's mythologizing a few things. He's just making stuff up. That hardly comes as a surprise for critics of Christianity to say something like this. But... What is true is that in the last 200 years of uh, archaeological research and of historical uh, uh, research as well, uh, Luke has time and time again been proven to be a, a competent and reliable historian. All it takes uh, is for one uh, piece of evidence to come up and immediately the uh, all it takes for people to criticize is to say, oh, there is absence of proof, so he's, he's making stuff up. But absence of proof is not proof of absence, as they say. And all it takes is the one thing to be discovered to prove again and again that Luke is actually one of the most reliable sources of first century history that, that is available. And historians are realizing that, at least if they are honest Things recently, like Sergius Paulus, uh, that is mentioned in, in Acts 15. No one knew about him. And uh, people would say, or critics of Christianity would say, oh, uh, probably Luke just made this up. Uh, not even Luke. They would, they, they would say someone who is passing himself to be Luke made this up. But then, about, I think, 50 years ago, in Cyprus, they discovered some artifacts. And... Uh, Lo and behold, Sergius Paulus was actually a governor there. 
Apparently, Luke was reliable in this account. And this is all throughout Scripture, not just with Luke. Not long ago, in the, in the, in the time frame of, of centuries, not long ago, people would say that David was a myth, uh, King David was a mythological king, kind of like King Arthur. But now, no, no historian denies that there was, in fact, a, a Davidic king. Uh, King David and Solomon was, was real as well. They still will uh, argue that King David was, uh, uh, is being painted in, in mythological uh, light uh, in Scripture, but now they don't deny it. All it takes is a piece of metal to be discovered somewhere in the Middle East. All it takes is, a, is a, 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 an artifact to be discovered. And in the last 200 years, we have hundreds and hundreds of discoveries that prove that Luke is a reliable historian. And here he gives us history. King Agrippa, Bernice. How did Luke come to know of this? Well, the easy answer, or the, one of the, the obvious uh, answers would be inspiration of the Spirit. We believe in that. We believe that although, uh, uh, that although the actions in this, uh, in this section were not inspired, King Agrippa and, the, and, and Festus were not inspired by the Spirit, we believe that the things that are written down are inspired by the Spirit and are inerrant and are true. It could equally be true that some servant, some soldier that was there in this meeting between Festus and Agrippa conveyed this information to Luke, and Luke wrote it down. So King Agrippa comes to greet Festus. We read there that he stays, a few, uh, many, that he stays many days in the city, and that after, after these days, after many days, he cons, uh, Festus consults uh, uh, Agrippa regarding the case of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul has been in prison now for close to two years ever since he returned to Jerusalem after the third missionary journey. He was uh, uh, taken by the mob in the temple. He was then seized by Sergius Paul, uh, uh, Lysias, Claudius Lysias, the, the, the commander, and taken to Caesarea to Felix and now Festus, uh, now Paul is Festus' problem. So Festus, kind of like Claudius Lysias, you remember when we were looking at Claudius Lysias in the letter he writes, he kind of paints himself in this exceedingly uh, good light, as if he was the one doing all the good. And Festus here, in conveying the, what he had done to Agrippa, he also kind of uh, rose uh, paints it a little bit rosy towards him. He he kind of paints intends uh, us to see him in a favor or intends Agrippa to see him in a favorable light. And he says that well, the Jews brought this guy to me. The and and he, he he's been accused of all these things, but I found none of them. The only thing that actually I can uh, that he that he I can perceive is that he believes uh, uh, about. Uh, about this certain Jesus who had died and, uh, and he believes him to be alive. But he has nothing to do with the accusations that initially they, they brought him again. In fact, what is it that Paul had told him before? What is it that Paul had told uh, Festus before? It is concerning the hope of resurrection that I'm being judged. 
And Festus here kind of gives him the, the credit. It is concerning the resurrection. It's not about the temple, the accusation that the Jews were making that he profaned the temple. It is not about political uh, uh, sedition as the, the, the Jews were accusing Paul. It was about the resurrection that Paul was being judged and, and Governor Festus, he, he says, well, I, I needed to hear the other side of the story. I needed, which is a very established Roman practice. But instead of all the, the offenses against Roman law that he had imagined, it's only theological charges that are being brought against him. And Festus, being a Roman, he probably doesn't understand half of it. He probably doesn't really get what, what is going on there. So he calls upon King Agrippa. By the way, King Agrippa was Festus' brother-in-law. But we'll look at it in a moment. He, he calls his friend, his brother-in-law, to come and give him some understanding of what Jewish religion uh, is all about uh, and what is going on here so that he can present a case to Caesar, so that he can write something, because he's going to take Paul to, uh, to Rome, he's going to send Paul to Rome, he needs to give an accusation, there needs to be some form of charge with him. You don't just send a, a man to be judged and don't bring any, any accusation, any charge. For this reason, claiming not to have elements to judge him, he asks, for Agrippa's help. He was at a loss to explain what was happening to Paul. And again and again, we're being told that Paul was innocent. We've been told that Paul was innocent by Commander Claudius Lysias as he sent him to Felix. We're being told that by uh, Festus to Agrippa, uh, saying to Agrippa that Paul was innocent, that he, he shouldn't be there. But he needs to do something. So he asks for Agrippa's help to untangle this mess. And again, as I've already alluded before, we are called to see something here. Uh, we, or we are, we, we are, there is implications here in the way that Luke presents this to us. As Paul is going to Rome, he often draws these parallels with Christ going to Jerusalem. The passion narrative uh, parallels are too great to be ignored. They're not just coincidences. Here is a, a Roman governor asking a Herodian uh, king to help him in accusing an innocent man. It was true of Pilate and Herod Antipas in Jesus' day. And here it is with Paul, with Festus and Herod Agrippa II colluding, seeking to help one another out. And let me just pause here, because a, a few weeks ago when we spoke about uh, Agrippa, when I spoke about Agrippa, someone came to me and said they were very confused about all the Herods in Scripture. So I'm going to try and, and give you a, a brief uh, explanation of who Herod is, or who Agrippa is in this case, Agrippa II. There are three named Herods in Scripture. You have Herod the Great, 
Herod the Great is the one who uh, famously built the, the, the temple or uh, re renovated the temple in Jesus' day. That's why it's called Herod's Temple. Also, quite infamously, is the one who uh, condemned to death or, uh, or executed uh, a number of children uh, seeking to kill our Lord Jesus in the birth narratives. And then you have Herod Antipas, Herod the Great's son. Herod Antipas is uh, famously known for having married his cousin, Herodias. Oh, by the way, Herod the Great had like 10 uh, wives, so he had a lot of children. And the, the, like in any, any other monarchical dynasty, it gets really complicated. But Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, the son, he marries Herodias. John the Baptist comes in, he condemns it, and Herodias wants his head on a platter, he gets it, uh, she gets it. Uh, also, Herod Antipas is the one who is, uh, in Jesus' execution, uh, colluding with Pontius Pilate. Then we have the third Herod, Herod Agrippa I. That's the one who, in the book of Acts, uh, imprisoned uh, Peter. That's the one who, in the book of Acts, uh, beheaded James the Apostle. That's the grandson of Herod the Great. And now we have Agrippa here, which is known in history as Herod Agrippa II. And he is the great-grandson of Herod the Great. His sister here, Bernice, uh, um, is presented to us as um, very close. Every time Agrippa is mentioned, Bernice is there. She's a sister. And you might be wondering, why is it that Bernice is always so closely attached to Agrippa? Well, historians like Josephus and other historians tell us that there was, a, what's the best way of putting it, really quickly, there was an incestuous relationship between them both. Agrippa II and Bernice is one of the most infamous relationships of the first century. Bernice is Drusilla's sister. You remember Drusilla from last week, uh, Felix uh, uh, Feastus' uh, um, wife. Bernice is his sister. So there is a, a whole mess, a tangled mess of family affairs going on. And you wonder, don't you? Sometimes you wonder, why is it that the Jewish population was so rebellious? Well, this is what's happening there. They're being ruled by a king who is Jewish, but he's in bed with the, with the oppressors. He's, he's, he's working himself, uh, uh, buttering up the, the oppressors. And he's, it's all just a, a corrupt mess in, the, in, the, in that day. You wonder about how they, they were so, uh, such a powder keg. In, the, in just about six or seven years, the Jewish population will uh, rebel in such a way a civil war will, will ensue. And, and the, the Roman emperor at the time, uh, Titus, no, Titus wasn't the Roman emperor, now is Nero Vespasian. 
the father of Titus, the Roman emperor at the time, got so fed up that he sends the legions in and he raises the city to, to, to the ground. The, the main go- uh, commander of, the, of those legions was Titus, his son, who then becomes emperor after Vespasian. And Titus, by the way, also had a, a, uh, an affair with Bernice. Let me just say a little bit about Bernice, the, the sister. Apart from the incestuous claim, Bernice was sort of, if she lived today, and this is all historical fact, that's why it's, Luke is such, such a reliable historian. Bernice, if she was alive today, she would be uh, more often than not seen in the cover of some of these uh, tabloid magazines. She was the sort of figure that everyone knew in the day, on that day uh, who Bernice was. She had married uh, an uncle named Herod Calcis. Everyone in the Herodian family was na- named Herod. But after his death, he, she moved back to Agrippa's house, King Agrippa's house. But the, the whispers, the, the rumors were there. So she eventually uh, becomes the mistress of Titus, the, the adopted son of Emperor Vespasian, the one who conquered Jerusalem in AD 70. But then she, uh, Titus gets fed up with her. She send, he, he sends her back to, to Judea, and she returns to, to uh, Agrippa. Agrippa was was always there. And in AD 70, Agrippa was the one who, when the Jewish population was revolting, do you know what Agrippa did? Did Did he join the ranks of his fellow brethren? No. He joined the the legionaries and he fought fought against the Jewish uh, people. And he was there. This is the kind of situation that is going on here. King Agrippa, the, the Roman uh, vassal king, and Festus, his brother-in-law, colluding, trying to conspire something to get Paul uh, sent to Rome with some kind of formal charge that is uh, significant. And then comes the, the second part, uh, the, the second point, the public hearing. This is just an introduction to Paul's defense, so I'll be brief here. Luke's account gives us a, a public hearing. There is this big pomp and ceremony, this, this uh, pageantry that is being set up here. So the next day when Agrippa, and again, Bernice, because uh, if you're a first century uh, reader of this, of this letter, you don't need much to be introduced about Bernice. Bernice was well known, Agrippa was well known, and Agrippa and Bernice, they come together with great pomp and uh, enter the auditorium and they, and with the commanders, and there's this big uh, pompous uh, pageantry ceremony. You can think probably of something like we saw a few weeks ago. This ceremony going on, the city, city is assembled, and once again, Feaster says what's going on. What, what is the point of that? This is not a, a, an official public uh, court. This is more than uh, just, let's, let's get our minds together. Let's try and find something to accuse or to uh, lay to the charge of Paul. And again, he declares Paul's innocent, innocence in, in verse 25. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, 
And that he himself had appealed to Augustus. I decided to send him. Again, we're being told Paul wasn't supposed to be in prison. He wasn't supposed to be uh, in jail. But political expediency uh, dictated otherwise. His problem was that he did not possess enough legal uh, elements to compose a, a document to send to the emperor. And uh, that is what he says, verse 26 and 27, I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I, I brought him before you all, and especially before you, King Agrippa, that you might examine him so that we can send something, because it is unreasonable for me to send, something with, uh, to send him without anything to accuse him of. And you might say, why is this in Scripture? Why is all of this uh, detail here? It seems unnecessary, you might think. Well, it prepares us for the important testimony that Paul is going to give later. But it also teaches us something about this world and the way that, that we function in it, brothers and sisters. Look at the contrast. Look at the contrast firstly. Between the futility of human pomp and of human uh, power with the eternal value and the power of the gospel of Christ. I think we're, we're, we need to see this. That's the point of looking at this. There is this great pomp, this great circumstance, this pageantry being built up. What is made of it? What is... How, what, 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 what is really going on? From a divine perspective, from a human perspective, it's great, it's wonderful. It's, it's King Agrippa, it's Governor Festus, and, and it's Bernice there. Uh, but from a divine perspective, it's insignificant. From a divine perspective, who is the great hero of this story? Why is it that we today still talk about Agrippa, Bernice, and, and Festus? They are, they are no one. And the reason why we still speak of them is because they had the privilege of coming across Paul. In the great scheme of things, they are nothing. They are insignificant. And although Paul is being presented before this great gathering as a, 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 a servant and as, as, a, as someone who is powerless and, uh, and imprisoned, the reality is that all the pomp is just for show. And that so forceful will be his testimony uh, in this audience that King Agrippa will later say, oh, look at this next week, you almost persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul says to him, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both, uh, might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. And when he said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. When they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Jesus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. The explanation for all of this is that the apostle's power and boldness comes not from his uh, 
character, not from his uh, personality, but from the fact that he knows and he is confident in the grace and the power of Christ in his life. In all his testimonies, he knows that it is because of Christ that he is there. Christ himself said it. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you. In that hour, what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. That's the reality of what's going on behind all this pomp, behind all this power, behind all this fanfare and this pageantry. What's going on is that Christ is raised from the dead, seated in the heavenly places, and by his Spirit, he is still preaching and speaking through Paul. I love how F.F. Bruce puts it most people who know nothing uh, who know nothing about Agrippa Bernice and Festus today know them as people who briefly crossed Paul's path and heard him speak words that could have brought them many blessings had they paid serious attention to what he was saying the roman empire is no more while christ's kingdom continues to grow and spread to every region of the earth that is what's, what's going on here. Luke describes Paul, uh, Paul's appearance before Agrippa and Festus with this caustic uh, eye. But the reality is that, that behind all that pageantry, Christ was coming before them. And all the pageantry today, brothers and sisters, all the, uh, not just the pageantry of that day, all the, the, the human power that we see today that, that is so boastful, so, so, uh, so self-assured, all of it will pass away just like this passed away. All of the power of this world will pass away. Heavens and earth will pass away. All of the, the people who nowadays think that they have the, the strings of the control, the, 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 the direction that this world is going to or towards, all of them will fade away, will become footnotes in history. And you know at the end of the day what really matters when earth is, it passes away, when heaven passes away, when this earthly glory that which now uh, um, dazzles us or dazzles this world, uh, when this all thing burns up and fades, you know what's going to stand. It's the word of God. It's the kingdom of Christ. And that's the splendor. Because one day... One day, soon, very soon, as the, 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 the chorus says, Agrippa, uh, Festus, Agrippa, and Bernice will stand in an, another assembly. And Paul will be there as well. Paul will be there on, there on that assembly. But this time, the roles will be reversed. Because where Paul was sitting in this assembly... 
That's where Agrippa, Festus, Bernice will be sitting. And where Agrippa, Festus and Bernice were sitting, they will see the risen Christ sitting there. They will have to give an account. And sitting beside Christ will be the Apostle Paul with a crown on his head given to him. No longer sitting under judgment, but sitting to judge with Christ. One day, soon, very soon, they will appear and the roles will be reversed. As the Son of Man sits in his throne in his glory, and as all the nations gather before him, and before Paul, and before Peter, and before all the children of God, all of his people, Festus will see with his own eyes, Agrippa, Bernice, will see with their own eyes that Paul was in fact innocent, that Paul was in fact speaking the truth, that it was, that it was not just a matter of Jewish religion and superstition, that Paul was proclaiming to them the way of salvation. Had... Agrippa, Bernice, and Festus truly repented upon hearing this message, they too would have been forgiven. Had they repented, they too would have been, uh, the wrath would have been taken away. Had they repented, had they turned, they too would have experienced the same thing that Paul experienced because Paul was, was not always uh, on the direction of being, uh, in, sitting uh, in, the, in the high places with Christ. Paul too was a blasphemer, an idolater. Paul too was a, a murderer. Paul too was, was all of these things. But he repented. But Agrippa, Bernice and Festus, for the, to the best of our knowledge, they did not hear. They did not repent. And on that day, they will be taken away to eternal life or to eternal death where the fire does not cease, where the worm does not die, where the, the eternal fire is not quenched. And my friends, let us all remember that we too one day will be in that assembly. We too one day will appear in that assembly, those of us who have repented, those of us who have trusted the Lord Jesus for our salvation, will be sitting alongside him. Those who stubbornly, ignorantly, foolishly have rejected the gospel call will be sitting alongside the Bernices, the Agrippas, the Festus. And we have no one to blame but our own unbelief. 
and you know, and then you will know that there is a judge. You might be thinking, oh, all this talk about judgment, this is all superstitious things, or matters of religion, uh, and, and uh, like feasters, it's, it's nothing to do with me, it's to do with them. But on that day, you will know, it's not to do with them, it's to do with you. May God enable us and help us to realize that that day is coming. May, not, may God give us the wisdom to live and to prepare for that day. And may we at last stand and live in confidence before the Son of God, before our Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead.